0: this it's uh what day is it today it is christmas eve um what's been going on in my world and then i'll, I'll jump into some topics uh what happened yesterday yesterday my brother came up from uh, texas and we dove into a few different things we had some bourbon well well actually let me, let me back up and start this way actually i didn't know that christmas eve eve was a thing I was not aware of this. I was not aware that Christmas Eve Eve was um a big moment. And I and I guess it makes sense looking at the context and and analyzing the context, right? You know, people typically get off work early on uh that day. So let's say in this situation, as you guys know, uh Christmas is falling on a Saturday. So a lot of people are getting off that Thursday at 2, 3, 4 p.m. pretty early. And so they, they don't have work on Fridays. Typically, organizations give their employees off um, that Friday before. So, yeah, many people have off work the day, uh, the day prior to Christmas Eve. So, again, I was not aware that Christmas Eve Eve was a thing. And I found that out uh, yesterday. So that was Interesting. And, um, yeah, so me and my brother, we decided to number one, have some bourbon with a bit of, um, ginger beer. So pretty much what you do is you grab about three ice cubes. Yeah. Three. I I I think I put like two and I realized it was a little, uh, a little too warm for my liking. So I put three in there, um, grab some really good bourbon that he decided to bring up, put a little splash of ginger beer in that bitch. And, uh, was drinking drinking it straight like on some, you know, thirty year old, thirty one year old hair on my chest, you know, big boy shit, and it was really interesting. So, I had about three of those fuckers, and I'll tell you what happened. Um, I went from completely being sober to feeling really great, and uh, that uh, that was good. And so, decided to drink that bourbon. I'm actually not a bourbon guy. I'm actually more of a gin guy, typically. Um, but my brother decided to, again, bring over some bourbon, have some nice drinks, and and off we went. And so inevitably what we did is we had some really great conversations. I tried to get him to record uh, a podcast. So I told him about the Project LLV podcast, told him about the format, showed him some of the, t- the topics from the list. And inevitably we got into a lot of the topics that are on this list, and he didn't want to record with me. He told me that he didn't want anything recorded. He didn't want to be, um, put out to the, uh, the intranets there. And, uh, that pissed me off, but I have to, I guess, respect his opinion and his perspective and, and let it rock. And so we actually had really, really great, meaningful conversations. We talked about a lot of shit, um, that, uh, was funny. That was interesting. That was deep. That was complex. Um, and it's always fun. Like, I'll be honest, it's always fun, um, not just getting together with him, but it's always fun figuring out inevitably where the conversations go. Cause we usually talk about a lot of just random shit. And again, it's always, it's always interesting seeing how he responds to me and and, and where I take conversations. Cause typically I'm the one that's starting the conversation and typically I'm the one that's kind of taking it in different directions. So um, yeah, it was really dope. It was really interesting. We talked about what did we actually talk about? You see, I'm kind of trying to fill up time here as I figure out in my mind, trying to re- uh, rethink and reprogram my brain, my brain to remember what we talked about. Um, what do we dive into? We dove into, I know for a fact we dove into Lamar Jackson. And look, I, I think, I think, I think time is now. Like, I think, I think it's about time that I finally give my thoughts on Lamar. Like, look, here's the situation. All right. Here's the situation that we're faced with this motherfucker named Lamar Jackson. Here's the situation that we're facing with the Ravens. Here's the situation that we are faced with this fucker, John Harbaugh. Here's where we are right now. The Ravens are a very, very talented team. But the Ravens are also a very injured team. Objectively. Like, this is not an opinion. This is a fact. Um... The Ravens, I think, have like 29 players on IR. I think the Ravens also, in any given week, over the last six weeks, we just randomly have people that are fucked up. Jimmy Smith can't decide what, what he wants to do with his career. For whatever reason, he, dude, if you actually look at his body on some non-homosexual shit, and I have no problem. Let me be politically correct. I have no problem with any homosexual, so please do not. God, please don't put me in that category. I'm just saying for me, I don't look at guys in that sexual way, but I do respect, um, a nice body and the hard work that it takes to get to that perspective. But anyway, no, uh, Jimmy Smith is built like a fucking brick house. Like, like every part of his body is built, his thighs, his fucking calves, his abs, his chest, his back, he's built, right? But for whatever reason, the dude can't, can't stay healthy. He literally gets hurt every single year since he's been in the league. I think he's had one yeah, I think let me look it up really quick. I think Jimmy Smith has had one season where he was not injured. Let me look this up here, because he's so talented, like like and now he's put on the COVID-19 list. Great, right? But he's so talented. Let me see. Let me see about you, Jimmy. Let me see. How many seasons have you had? So he's had 10 seasons. Oh, no, I lie. Jimmy's had two seasons. So eight seasons, he's never had a full season. Two, he's had a full season. And then it seems like he's had three seasons where he's had over 10 games. And then the rest of the seasons, he's played zero two three, nine, 11, 11, eight, like the motherfucker can, can't stay healthy. I don't know what's wrong with him. I don't know. I don't know who his trainer is. I don't know who his girl is. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who his mom is. I don't know. I don't know if his dad just has bad genetics and gave it I don't know what the fuck is wrong with this guy. He can just literally not seem to stay healthy. Like quite literally, he has a problem. And it's getting annoying, and I'm done with it. So anyway, the Ravens, right? The Ravens. And Lamar. And John. And Jimmy. And everybody. Here's the problem. Here's really the problem. Let's take the injuries aside. Lamar Jackson, let me send a message to you directly. Let me, let, me, let me spit this out. You don't fucking train. Let me just say it objectively. Let me scream it in the back for the homies in the back. Let me scream it in the front for my ladies in the front. Let me scream it so loud that my mom can hear. Let me make it so that my man Dez can hear. Anyone that knows me, let me make it clear. Lamar Jackson does not train. That is objectively true. Okay? Your boy Isaac Jones here knows a little something about working out and staying healthy and sculpting your body. The motherfucker does not train. The motherfucker does not lift weights. The motherfucker does not eat healthy. The motherfucker does nothing but stay in where is he from Miami, hanging out with Kodak Black and the rest of his homies. And I don't fuck I don't know what he does. He's driving around in this fucking Maybach Mercedes bumping Kodak Chilling with his fucked up fit. Because the, the the dude has no slack. The dude has no slack. He does not know how to dress. And I don't know. He's hanging out all year. And then typically what he does is about two months before the season. He decides to start working out. But this is his version of working out. It's not lifting weights. It's not running. It's not looking at film. He takes three and five and seven step drops. And... Calls Hollywood Brown and a couple of the Ravens receivers. And he throws some balls around. And he does like some high school type shit. And he does it probably for an hour, hour and a half. And then he goes back and hits Kodak Black up and hangs out and does whatever the fuck he does. He doesn't train. He doesn't analyze plays. He doesn't analyze coverages. He doesn't, again, he does not lift weights. He's not eating clean and healthy for nine months out of the, he's not doing the right things. So, what essentially is happening is Lamar Jackson, quite literally, is is performing at a very high level most of the time from a pure talent perspective. What does that mean? That means the motherfucker naturally is fast. That means the motherfucker is naturally strong. That means the motherfucker gets lucky at times when he reads coverages. And on a sidebar, I think he has ADD. I quite literally think he has ADD. Because I have ADD, and I know what it means, and I know what it looks like when you have ADD. The motherfucker... Dude. And I'll I'll get to that in a second, actually. I was going to talk about something about his footwork. I'll I'll get to that in a second, because that's a completely different thing. Here's the punchline. Number one reason that we're having a tough season so far is when you don't train, when you don't prepare... When you live off of your natural talent, you put yourself in a situation where the rest of the league will eventually catch up with you or your body will catch up with you. And we're seeing that hence his injury right now. Why can't you come back from a low ankle sprain in three days? Please tell me that. Please tell me why you'd have to be out for two or three weeks with a low ankle injury. Explain that to me. It's because you're eating fucking Fritos and drinking fucking fruit punch for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you keep eating mac and cheese and and collard greens and fried fucking catfish from fucking home homeboys fucking delivery shop from fucking day county with fucking Kodak fucking bullshitting. That's why you're not you're not you're not taking the money that you're making and getting meal prep. You're not taking the money that you're getting and getting a chef to help you out. You're not taking the money that you're getting and eating and and consuming your multivitamins. You're not doing the right things with your body. So eventually it catches up with you. Let's, Let's get to his preparation on the field. You don't read coverages and you have ADD. You need to go to a doctor and talk to him about it or her about it. You need to get medicine. You need to do whatever Chris Davis did before they took it away from him with his Adderall and his ADD, whatever the fuck medicine he was taking. Because Chris Davis was doing amazing with the Orioles, right? Before they took that medicine away. You need to do something. You have these moments where you think you are Superman. You think that you don't have Hollywood Brown. You think that you don't have uh, Rashad Bateman. You think that you don't have Sammy Watkins. You think that you don't have the best tight end in the league. You think that you have to do everything on your own So you snap and hike the ball, or you hike the ball, or you get the ball, however the fuck you get it, and you start running backwards 40 yards, and you just throw it in the air, hoping and praying that Kodak Black will send a message to the football gods that somebody will jump 80 feet in the air and catch it. And a lot of times that happens. Mark Andrews decides to fucking act like he's Michael Jordan with the Jordan 3 zone. He decides to jump 80 feet in the air and catch your fucking duck of a ball that you're throwing because you didn't prepare in the offseason to figure out how to throw more consistent spirals. That's what happens. And then you slam your fucking hand on your head as if you are dumbfounded that the ball was intercepted. Why do you have 16 interceptions in eight games or nine games? Explain that to me. Really break that down for me, Lamar. Unpack that for me, sir. Tell me what the fuck I don't know. Because maybe I'm dumb. I'm not in the NFL. I, did, I was not an All-American. I didn't win the Heisman. I didn't win the MVP. You tell me something I don't know. Why is your footwork still fucked up in year four? Why is your arm positioning? Why are you side-arming throws when you don't need to, it'll be a wide open pocket, wide open lane, and you're side arming a throw. What are you doing? That's number one. After all of that, the Ravens still have eight wins, correct? Correct. So, we get into a situation where. The last two games or three games, our defense and our team holistically has dug up fucking effort. Effort, this little energy bottle of thing of, of effort has been fucking cemented into the ground. In the second half. The the fucking defense and the offense, they take jackhammers and they dig up this thing called energy and fucking toughness and strategy and ability, and they plug it into the fucking body. They sniff it up like it's coke, and next thing out, of, next thing you know, the Ravens pull shit out of their ass. They're now they're now good, and they get to the point where they work so hard, they bust their ass, where they get themselves in position to win the game. And guess what, John Harbaugh does. Guess what my, 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 my boy, Johnny, my boy, my, my old boy, Johnny boy, guess what he does? He decides to do something that is completely contradictory to the definition of being an NFL coach. When you are an NFL coach, you are typically between the ages of 35 and 70 years of age. Your body typically no longer can perform like a high level athlete but you have the years of either playing or coaching or analyzing or studying the game enough to the point where you are now in the position to be an objective third party on the sidelines reading and analyzing what is happening. What does that mean? That means when the game is on the line and your entire team is in position to win a game or at least at a minimum take it to overtime, it is your responsibility to not ask them what they want to do, because here's, let me, let me enlighten you, John Harbaugh, about, about how this really plays out here. Your team, when they're playing the game of football, they're incredibly emotional. Their threat response, their reward response, their fucking equilibrium, everything is all fucked up. They're smashing the 300-pound players. They're smashing the 245-pound players that are running four flats. They're, 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 they're trying to think about, okay, do I run this route? Do I throw this ball? Do I die for this ball? Their fucking knees hurt. Their ankles hurt. They're thinking about their wife that's probably getting smashed by their, their fucking cousin. They're freaking out. Most NFL players in the game, they exert so much energy. So when you get to the point where the game is on the line, And you need to figure out how to get to an overtime position and or win the game. It is your job, John Harbaugh, to be objective, remove ego, remove any complexity of, 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 of. I don't want you to have empathy, motherfucker. I don't want you to see things from Lamar Jackson's point point of view. I don't want you to see things from who else who's a player there? I don't want you to see things from um from fucking uh uh uh, uh, uh Rashad Bateman's point of view. Hollywood's point No. Remain objective. So, let me guys, let me tell you what this fucker does. Let me tell you what he does. These last two games, what is, what does old Johnny Boy do? Old Johnny Boy decides to go for two-point conversions, and continues to fail. Guess what you're doing, John? The game's over now. You put your team in a situation to not even have a shot. And you know what I call that? I call that ego. I call that ego. And I, as a fan, will no longer tolerate ego. Ego. So you know what I'm going to do? And I know you don't give a fuck. And I know most people listening to this don't give a fuck either. But you know what I'm going to do? I am never going to watch the game again this year. I'm going to wait to see if you, Johnny Boy, can make the right decisions. If you, Lamar Jackson, can do the right things. If the entire team can do what it needs to do to get itself in a position to go to the fucking playoffs. And then I will watch the game again. Because I am done. And I know no one gives a fuck if, if, if I'm done. And, and frankly, I don't know if I give a fuck either. But I need to vent. And I did that. So, there's nothing else to say. I won't be watching the game. Let me know what you decide to do. You let me know what, what you want to do, Johnny Boy. You let me know how you want to handle the rest of the season, Lamar. Because I'm sick of it. And I'm done with it. So let's move on to some topics. I'll finish up the conversation regarding my brother. It was a great time. We went out to the bar. Oh, this is the highlight. This is the highlight. My brother and I ordered $150 worth of sushi. And guess what we did? We ate over 80 pieces of sushi. I think I had fucking sushi rolls whole coming out of my ass this morning. And I don't want to be disgusting, but I have to be honest. I ate so much sushi. And I loved every minute of it. It was so good. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the money to be able to buy $150 worth of sushi. Thank you to my brother for accompanying me to eat $150 worth of sushi. It was fun. It was exciting. It was interesting. It was a challenge. And I loved it. And I'm thankful. So let's move on here. Um, I got some topics, and I'm just gonna pick a few, and we're just gonna run with it. Um, I'm gonna pick, I'm gonna pick Drake's strategic brain. (sighs) Drake is definitely strategic. What do I mean by that? What do I mean when I say Drake's strategic brain? Um Drake, Drake is Drake is smart. Drake is smart. Drake is clever. Drake is unique. I think strategically, what Drake has done when 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 Drake decides to put on his little reggae tone accent, like the motherfuckers from Jamaica or some shit. When Drake decides to start talking Spanish, when Drake decides to sound like he's from. Orange County, California, and like a a, 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 a Republican uh, a, a Republican fucking engineer from Orange County, when, when Drake decides to sound like he's from Dade County, Miami, when Drake decides to sound like he's from Atlanta in the sticks, fucking selling packs with the amigos. when Drake decides to put on his native Canada, Toronto tongue, When Drake decides to do all these things and make music in these different regions, Drake is being smart and putting himself in positions to capitalize on those markets and those fan bases. People seem to forget that Drake was an actor before he became a rapper. And I think what people are not recognizing, I quite literally believe this, I think Drake is being, I think Drake is acting like he's Drake. I think this is a 10-year-long movie for him. I think he's playing a character. I think he is literally playing a character. I think there is a 10-year-long script and he is excelling on each and every page of that script and performing at a high level and, 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 and he's a fucking character. I think he's an actor. I think he strategically is doing this and I think he's very brave for doing this. Because it could, it it completely could go. It could go really wrong. There's a really great possibility it could stop working at some point. I think it will, but it's been working so far. And I think most people aren't analyzing it from that strategic point of view. I think most people just think that he's amazing and he's talented, which he is. Don't please don't get this twisted. He is amazing. He's talented. He's 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 interesting. He's attractive right like like I'll give it to him right I don't, know. I don't look at guys like that but I can be objective but he's acting guys he is acting he is playing a role he is an entertainer and strategically what he's done when he does that is he's excelled in every single market he's decided to position himself with the legendary little wing that again that was another strategic move for him and he, put it, and he puts himself in situations where I think most people would dream to be in. And I think more rappers should analyze how he's acting and putting himself in these roles. I do think that he is being strategic from that, from that sense. Who is Aubrey? I don't actually know. But I think Drake is a character. Very similar to, you know, and i talked about this. Isaac Jones is actually me. Like, this is me. Who I am outside of being Isaac Jones. I was talking to my brother about this. It's kind of this character. It's, it's like this persona that I have created to exist in this world and excel in this world. And I think more people can learn from that. So that's, so that's number one. I think number 2 I want to talk about this how to analyze failure realistically Fail- Failure is an interesting thing. I've had um I've had a lot of it this year. You know, as we sit back, sit back and we analyze 2021 and as we as we dissect 2021, I will admit I've had a lot of failure this year. I've had a lot of moments where things did not go my way. And I think the scariest thing when you analyze fear realistically is being honest about the micro variables of the failure. And I think many people don't want to do that. I think it takes a lot of accountability. I think it takes a lot of honesty. I I think it takes a lot of bravery. I think it takes a lot of Energy, mentally, to really unpack why you fucked up. I was telling my brother yesterday, there's a couple big deals that were on the table financially this year for me. And I take full credit for why they did not work out. I rushed a decision around hiring. I, I. I was over optimistic and, and didn't conduct my 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 dotting my I's and crossing my T's. I I I didn't I didn't develop a skill set and I had to trust someone else to do something that I technically should have been doing and then put my put myself in a vulnerable situation. I fucked up. And I think too many people don't analyze failures from that angle. I think people look at failure. And objectively say, "Oh, I failed. This is what happened. Let's move on." And they either move on to acting like that failure never happened, or they move on to a depressed state. I think what I do well, and what I want others to do well, and, and I think just from my macro point of view on this topic is, we need to we need to analyze the failure. We need to really dissect it, and 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 that whole saying, "You learn. You, you don't lose. You learn." That's a real thing. That's a real motherfucking thing, guys. You do learn. But the only way you can learn is, you can, is, is by analyzing. The only way you can learn is by analyzing. And if you can analyze it, and if you can remain objective while you analyze it, and be honest while you analyze it, and be brave while you analyze it, a lot of really, really, really good things can happen. I think um let me actually, let me break that down cuz I think I'm talking a little too broadly a little too tony robbins-esque. What are the what are the what are the foundational pieces of analyzing a failure? I think the first piece is quite literally the first piece is asking yourself honestly, did you do everything energy-wise during the moments of 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 doing the task of trying to win? Did you did you put yourself in the right positions energy-wise to make the thing happen or to win or to, like, not have failure occur? Like, did you bring your full and whole self energy-wise to the table? And typically the answer is no when you fail. Sometimes the answer is yes, i.e. what I actually want John Harbaugh to do. Like, let's, let's use that example. The reason why I'm actually very upset with John Harbaugh and the Ravens right now, it's not that they failed and lost. It's that John Harbaugh missed the mark from the strategic analyzing and strategy and energy perspective of making the right decisions. He didn't do everything he could have done to win. If they had got to overtime, that would have been an, a tangible moment that showed me and showed his players and showed himself that he is willing to do everything possible to capture a win. And if it didn't happen, that's when you can analyze the failure and not be upset with the amount of energy you put forth. I think the second element is, um, is analyzing the moving parts around the failure and being honest with yourself of, who may have also fucked up in in the in the situation and how you can do a better job of not being with or around that type of a person um making better decisions around who you bring into your circle and analyzing when and how and 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 should you bring them into your circle and 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 really dissecting looking stepping a you know stepping all the way back and analyzing how you would have utilized them differently, I think is also another variable of, of failure. I think the third one, and then I'll move on to another topic here. Um, I think the third variable when you analyze failure is you um, you have to be okay knowing that you have to be okay knowing that just because you failed Life will move on. And I know that's an easy statement, but let me unpack that for you. When you analyze failure, you can't say life will move on and be overly optimistic. I think what you have to do is you say life will move on if I make the corrections in the first two categories of analyzing the failure. If I change my energy. If I pick the right people around me to help me accomplish tasks. If I make better decisions. If I do this. I think I think people just objectively say, hey, I failed, I messed up, I fucked up, let's move on. And I think more analyzing needs to happen before you can just say, yeah, let's move on. So I think that's something that, um, that most folks need to, to pay attention to. Um, I want to pick another thing here. Let me pick another thing. Entourage. Top ten show in HBO history. That's a question. See how I said top ten show in HBO history? Question. Um, let me see. Let me let me Google this. Let me Google this because I, I wrote this topic down because I, I'm biased, um, but. But I want to I kind of get a little bit more objective. There's a blog that came out. There's a blog that came out by Variety. It was written by Amy Dowling or Amber Dowling. I, I apologize. Titled the 20 best shows of all time in HBO. Let me list them off. They got True Blood, True Detective, Big Little Lies, Eastbound and Down. The Leftovers, ooh, I want to talk about that in a second. Girls, Watchmen, Succession, Oz, Boardwalk Empire, Sex in the City, Game of Thrones, Curb Your Enthusiasm, The Wire, Insecure, come on. Come on. And I love Insecure, but come on. Deadwood. Six Feet Under. Veep. And The Sopranos is number one. All right. What the fuck? Okay. <laughs> so here's my answer. I objectively think so. And what are the metrics of TAP best? Um, legacy. Right? Project LLV. But seriously, though. Legacy. How memorable is the show? How many generations can raise their hand and say, I fucking love and I remember and can quote the show? What type of longevity does the show have? Right? Can it sit on the shelf for six years and then can you go back and watch it as you cook dinner and still get a laugh out of it? Can you quote your favorite, your, your favorite scene and your favorite lines? Has the show propelled the key characters to have great careers? Let's go down the list here. Ari Gold, Turtle, Drama, Um, Adrian with uh and he played Vince. I mean, they've all gone, they've all gone on to do amazing things. They've all they all were propelled based off of that show. The podcast they just came out with, where where they have um where they have E and uh, they have E, the director in drama. They have their own podcast. I think it's called victory. The podcast, the podcast gets hundreds of thousands of downloads a month. I think they're making probably six figures now off that podcast. They're doing a lot of really dope shit. And it's because of the longevity and the long tail and the, 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 inevitable impact of the show. They did a fucking, they did a fucking live podcast tour where they just talked about pot? Uh, the 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 show Entourage. You name how many how many shows can you say has done that? So Entourage is a top ten show. It's a phenomenal show. It's an impactful show. It's a it's a it's a good goddamn show. The acting was great. The con the the comedic points of views were great. The way they the way they layered in you know, culture at the time and celebrities, they were so forward thinking with certain things around cannabis, as well as the, the, the sneaker culture and the way the movies were analyzed and depicted with, with, with Aquaman and Martin Scorsese. And, and like, it's a good fucking show. The movie, the movie entourage, the movie was underrated as a motherfucker. It's a great show. Like stop fucking playing with me. Number one, Um, so I'm going to put, I'm going to put them at 10. I'm going to put them at 10. So I'm going to do my list. I'm going to put them at 10. I'm going to keep the Sopranos as number one. The Sopranos had so many layers. It was so deep. And the prequel to the Sopranos was great. So Sopranos, we don't even need to talk about it. Um, Veep, fuck you. Didn't even watch that. Six Feet Under. I heard a lot of good things about it. Um, I'm going to leave that off the list. Deadwood, I'm going to put on there as well. I'm going to move that to number two. Um, Insecure, what do you, I'm taking Insecure out. Sidebar, the last season Insecure, they're just filling up shit. Like, it's just, it's it doesn't have any depth at this moment. And you can tell that the scenes are just like, a, like they probably switched out a writer, which I don't fuck with. Insecure's a great show, please don't get me wrong, but you're not in the top 20 or top 10 or even top 50 of HBO shows. Like, what the fuck? Get that out of here. The Wire. I'm going to move that number three. Excellent show. Baltimore, stand up. Uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, number four. Uh, Game of Thrones, number five, 100%. Might be number two or three. Sex and the City, 100%, number six. Boardwalk Empire. heard really good things, but I'm going to keep that out. Oz, number seven, 100%. Not even what and odds may be number two or three like if i were doing the list like again not just ad hoc here silicon valley i'm okay with it like it was a good show i've heard great things but uh, fuck you succession i gotta i gotta get back into succession my boy des keeps talking to me about succession i gotta i gotta i gotta start fucking with succession again um but i'm gonna leave that out because it's too early Watchmen, fuck you! Like it's 2009. What? Fuck you, girls. No, fuck you too. The leftovers, the leftovers. I want to talk. Look, this show was fucking crazy. This show was fucking crazy. I gotta. I got. I'm gonna read you something. Two percent of the world's population suddenly disappeared without an explanation. Does anyone understand how many people 2% is? I think the world has like 7.4 billion people. So 2%, I'm bad at math. It's in the millions. Let's just do that. Leftovers is a phenomenal show. The acting is spectacular. Good God. So where where am I? Seven or eight? Like, left in the complexities is so great, right? Like, you know, they let me read something, the paragraph here. They, they say it was a it was a dark but nuanced take on grief isolation and trauma you know one that would say that the, the way that they depicted the violence the the hard content the narrative um it was slow it was a slow start i will admit that it was a slow start but the narrative unfolds quickly and really gets into a really interesting rabbit hole that i need everyone needs to watch this show um it was so good it was it was objectively really great so that's seven or eight um, I'm looking here, I'm just skipping over a bunch of shit You know, True Detective I like some of the True, true Detective stuff But I'm going to keep that out um, True Blood, I'm going to put in there at number 8 or 9 And I'm out of list, let me see So I'm at 8 or 9, let me pick two more Let me throw a True Detective in there And then I mean Alright, let me go back if I need to, if I need to put in one more, if I need to put in one more, then I'll throw in, if I need to throw in one more, then I'll put in, I'll put in six feet under, or did I already say that? I don't remember. I'll either put in six feet under our girls. If I need to throw one more in there, I'll put in six feet under our girls. I'll be real. I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that. Um, Let me pick one more topic and wrap this up for you guys here. Uh, What do we got? 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 Um, What do we got? Suicidal thoughts. I took a real crazy turn, didn't it? That's a fucking crazy topic. Uh, What are my first gut reactions on suicidal thoughts? Suicidal thoughts. Um, I think. Here is what I think about them. There was a there was a movie that I was at, there was a script that I was writing actually. This is a funny story actually. There was a script that I was writing where I was talking about and depicting this world where where the question of this is this, this was the theory and the in the framework. Of the show or the movie I was writing. It was a question. It was, is it okay? Should it be okay to no longer wanna live? Like if you're 39 years old and you wake up one day or multiple days in a row or, or multiple months in a row and you just say, I'm done. I'm done with living. I no longer have anything else that I want to accomplish. I no longer want to laugh. I no longer want to cry. I no longer want to smile. I no longer want to eat. I no longer want to work. I no longer want to see my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, my family members. I, know, I am done with the, the variables of life. I've got what I wanted out of it. Is that okay? Is that okay? And so that was the whole basis of the movie that I was trying to create. And my answer is, I don't fucking know. I really don't know. And I think one of the, one of the variables in the movie that I was writing is, my issue is, across the world and definitely in America, there are rules in place where objective third parties come in and pretty much tell human beings that have their own individual minds and brains that it's not Okay. And my fiance and I, we had this thing that we always joke around. And we say, who said? We always say, who said? Like, who said fuck is a bad word? Who said having sex in the middle of the street is a, is, a, is, a, is a crime? Who said a Christmas tree is actually a Christmas tree? Who said taking a shit is actually taking a shit? Who said a laptop needs to be used to, like, like who made up these things that we have? And so it's the same theory. Like who said that killing yourself is a bad thing? Who said? Who said that's objectively bad? Who said that it's selfish? Who said it's not the right thing to do? Who said it should be scary? Who said it is scary? Who said it's wrong? Who fucking said? It's some real shit that people don't want to talk about. Really, really, really true. Like it's some real like like if you really really like ugh, like just unpack it a little bit. There's a lot of questions that you can ask. So when I when I think about that question of suicidal thoughts, that's the first thing that comes to mind. The second thing that comes to mind is I understand. And I don't judge. And I can see it from that angle and that point of view. What do I mean by that? I can understand and I can cope with and I can handle how someone would potentially think about doing it. How someone can just be done. How something can be just so overwhelming or so scary or so confusing or so frustrating or so or so hurtful, or so whatever, whatever they're feeling. I understand. I can I can see it from that angle. I, I respect the point of view. And I think the thought of it is objectively someone's own perspective of it. Like, I don't think, again, back to who said, I don't think there's an objective right or wrong when we analyze and we think about suicidal thoughts. And so If anyone's having those thoughts, I guess I'll throw my own personal perspective in. I do believe it's very egotistical. I do believe it's very selfish. I do believe it's very fucked up. I believe your family, your kids, I believe you deserve better. But I can understand. I can sit back and remove myself from the structure of this thing that we call society and life. And I can... Remain objectively true and honest from afar. And I can say, hey. If you're having and if you are having and if you've ever had those thoughts. I hear you and I see you and. I'll never judge you for thinking of them. I thought them. And I think I think it's OK at times I think about it. I think it's OK to want to give up. So. I don't want to, I don't want to have anyone ever again, in my personal opinion, ever judge or put someone down or point a finger at anyone that's having those thoughts. Cause we've all had them at times. We've all been let go of that job. We've all been cheated on. We've all, we've all are just tired of being sick. We're, we're all just tired of making mistakes. We're all tired of our circumstance. We're all tired of being born with the, with the, with the short end of the stick. We're all whatever, right? Like we all have our fucked up shit and it's okay. To be not okay. That's the podcast title. It's okay to not be okay. Let's wrap this up. And um, thank you all. And as always. Ask yourself. What does legacy. What does lifestyle. And what does values mean to you. How are you analyzing legacy. And thinking about it and preparing for it. What type of lifestyle do you actually want to live that authentically represents your truth? And what are the core principles and values that you live by? Let me hear it. Let's talk about it.
1: Hey, coming to you from a packed studio. After hitting this gun truck. Out to dinner with the homies, private table at Nakama. I'm a New Millennium Sinatra, Copper marijuana from the neighborhood. Raster's chiefing, feasting, king of the new school. I'm speaking in tongues, try translating voodoo. Hold up, let me start again. Undefeated shirt, Levi's and a Mr. Rogers cardigan. It's a hell of a feeling being this fresh. Spit seem to sit up on my lips. Call it bliss. Ex-peddling this medical, the presence of a general. Magazines, centipoles, they all up on my genitals. Got the game in the palm of my hand incision. while out, better talk to your man He bitchin', cause I ain't got a lot of time For these weirdos, talking shit all up in my earlobes I just live life, tryin' to do it right Everyone to hear me say the boy is super nice Put a bitch up on the flight, she gon' be here by the night Get some afternoon delight, only eat it if it's right. Call me Stanley Steamer, I be giving her the pipe And when I'm out of town, she wanna see me, so we Skype she might get obsessed and keep calling. 30,000 feet, tone petty, free falling. Just laying back, letting gravity take its course. I wanna tell all of my haters that we made it, boy. From basement studios to some official shit. I'm stressed out all the time, so I don't give a shit. Used to dream about it, boy, and now I'm living it. 412, it's the most dope syndicate. Had a normal life, but now I'm sick of it. Trash, spend money just to spend it, it's ridiculous. Young and so mischievous. Bitch is is and then uh fred wants me to sing a hook like this